Welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. The very best of last week's rugby coaching webinars and podcasts, reviewed by host Phil Flewellyn and his special guests. Howdy and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Roundup Rodeo. I'm your host, Phil Llewellyn. It is a pleasure to have you with us as we explore the content from the last week in the world of sports coaching and rugby. I've once again corralled three more coaches to join me. So guys, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, where you are from and your current role. Hi, my name's uh, Dave Sharkey. I'm the head of English at Shiplake College, although I'm moving to Hampton in the next few weeks. Uh, I coach the HAC in London and I've been involved in the WASP DPP programme for the last three years. Hi, I'm Mark Rees. I'm currently based down in Clanton Major, where unfortunately I'm going to be the chair of the Minion Junior section next year. Uh, and in between all that, I'm going to be spending my time coaching the under-12s of the club as well. Hi, my name's Andy Brownhill. I'm based in sunny Gloucester. Um, and I'm currently got a few roles spread out. So I coach as a pathway coach uh, with Gloucester, um, under-16s and 17s of Scotland, and also director of rugby at Mad Dog Sports. Superb, gents. Absolute pleasure to have you with us. So thank you very much for coming on. I am going to start us off with a cowboy joke this week. Well, it's actually seven and they're magnificent. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I was laughing. I was just muted. Apologies. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> that's a delayed pause. There was a delayed laughter. That's, that's all good. Every week. Honestly, it gets harder and harder every week. At some point, I'm going to have to bin it because there just there aren't that many cowboy jokes to keep telling. So Put it to your guests, mate. You know, put them on the, put oh, that's it. I like that. I like that. Put it on <laughs> them, yeah. Uh, format. Hopefully, everyone's up to date with the format, so we'll get straight into discussion. But don't forget to check out the blurb for the links to all the content that we discuss. So, Dave, we're going to come to you first. What were you looking at this week? So I was on the UK Curious Coaching Club um, webinar uh, on Monday, and that was chaired by Jenny Cody, and they had guests of Andy Bradshaw and Mark Scott. Um, I particularly liked, again, the kind of interaction that they have. I think they've got a pretty cool format, how they sort of bounce ideas off each other a little bit. They also had a communities of practice a few days later, which is really helpful to kind of support the group or people who watch the recording. They had a kind of half-time game plan. Uh, they, they they jumped into the chat for a couple of questions and they also suggested some books for further reading. So I really liked it as a, as a sort of whole package. They were looking specifically at reflective practice um, and using reflection to get better. Um, and this is something, again, in my own practice, I've been particularly interested in both in, in teaching and certainly coaching. So Mark uh, Scott opened the idea with reflection is different to reflective practice and, and his sort of definition of that was that reflection is something we all do we're all thinking we're all you know dwelling maybe uh, on, on sessions or interactions with players or or other stakeholders but he just defined reflective practice as being actual actions that have taken as a result of, the, of that thinking and i thought that was a helpful model uh, certainly to look through and it certainly reminded me of um interactions that i've had in the past with ed hall um who who talks a lot about reflective practice, but he actually uh, spoke a few years ago about the idea of that reflection is not innate. Just telling someone to reflect uh, on their practice that it's going to be useful is is not like something that just comes naturally to us. And some people need support with that. In fact, I think as coaches, we might maybe um, let stuff maybe stick too deeply uh, with us and, and maybe uh, dwell on things a little bit too much. So I think the important thing that came for me is that what will you reflect on? 
what is the specific aims and things that you might look at so could you be looking at the wrong things might you be over reflecting where it's detrimental to your practice but when Andy Bradshaw came in with his T.S. Eliot quote, as an English teacher, I'm an absolute sucker for, uh, for someone who's going to blend those worlds together for me. So uh, the line that we had the experience, but we missed the meaning is, is, is one that's um, particularly interesting just to think about that. All these experiences that we're having with people, lots of different people at different stages in their own worlds and contexts. But, you know, have we missed maybe the meaning of, 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 of that? Maybe we get lost in looking at something else, perhaps. Um, a big thing that, that kind of came out of the session for me was the idea of planning for reflection. Um, and that might be, you know, in the session, post-session, in the game, post-game, in-season, post-season, where are you kind of building into that and planning for that? Because uh, I think that could be quite useful. And, and Jenny Cody talking about, you know, the few moments before half, not moments, but minutes before half time, where she would deliberately stop and think, hang on, what am I going to say at halftime? And that's definitely something I've had to get better at uh, because of some of the absolute nonsense I would uh, rattle off in team huddles, probably commenting on the last three minutes of the game, telling people to drink water, not allowing any silence and a whole whirlwind of nonsense. So I've definitely tried to take that approach, maybe the five minutes before halftime saying, what is the, what is the picture we're seeing? How is this going to help us uh, moving forward? But that's really, really useful uh, for that. The other thing that I think is important, uh, the last two points from this would be, um, we tend to be drawn to the negative sometimes in our reflective practice, but actually we probably need to mine uh, for the positive moments in, in our sessions, in our games, in our interactions. So not that we're completely dwelled on, God, I, I'm hopeless, I'm useless, but I mean, teaching and coaching, I certainly feel at times it's kind of Sisyphean task in the sense of it just never ends. And, you know, we're, we're constantly sort of up against the battle. Uh, but, you know, we do add value uh, at times, uh, I'd like to think. Uh, and maybe we just need to focus on that again at times as well. Uh, so know, know thyself is something that's important uh, as well, just to know your biases, what you're looking at, what you're not looking at. Uh, people you might inv invite into your environment to do that. Um, and then lastly, uh, the idea that reflection might prompt more questions than provide answers, I thought was a good one. So again, leading you on that kind of continuous sense of development. Um, and being aware of eureka moments that maybe linger. If you think you've cracked it and you've got that eureka moment, if that lasts too long, maybe you need to reflect a little bit deeper. Superb. Love that. Really, really strong. Um, I, I think reflection is massive. I guess so my question would be, do we spend enough time as coaches um, coaching reflection in our players and if we look at how we are delivering in terms of gamification in terms of trying to create environments where they're problem solving and thinking for themselves and and the way we question all these types of pedagogical approaches if a player can't reflect or has a very poor ability to reflect and i would tend to bracket that maybe half the players will have some sort of natural or learned ability because of something they've done like how are we servicing maybe the other 50 50 percent 40 percent 30 percent whatever that is to actually get better at reflection are, are we just presuming that they go away from the session or even like you said at half time or a drinks break or whatever and that they're thinking about things because we do because it's pretty much rammed into us as coaches isn't it every course you do it's all you know plan do review very very process driven review reflect learn and I just, I've not found anyone that's really answered that particularly strongly, I don't think. And I, I just think it seems to be this big void of things that we're maybe not doing with players that could be just more crucial. I'm not sure. I think that if we need to learn how to 
uh, implement reflective practice, then we need to try and pass that on to players. I think you're absolutely right. Just assuming because we, we've, we've talked to the game plan and the three things we need to look at doesn't necessarily mean that's what's important to them or that's what they're looking at. Um, you know, we've all been in, 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 in huddles or in um, dressing rooms after games where actually the stuff we've talked about, when we think about it a few days ago, that wasn't what was important. Um, so they did, they, they touch on the, the nature of a, like a hot review uh, immediately after a game or a session or whatever, and then a cold review slightly later, uh, where you might maybe, the dust might settle a little bit more on that. But I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we need to get better at supporting players as to what they're reflecting on. Uh, and also the difference between reflection and reflective practice. You know, people might dwell on a missed tackle in a game. That might be all they're reflecting on, but you're kind of thinking, well, think of all the other awesome contributions that that person made uh, to the team in that instance. But we need to maybe guide and support and see things. What are they looking at? Uh, yeah, I, I love the fact that they've separated reflective practice and reflection. Like you say, if and we can probably all, even as coaches, I would imagine we had know a lot of people that would just focus on the negative. And I, I've definitely been in that space. I, I reflect on the mistakes and the errors rather than actually use reflective practice to hone in the, on the positive. So if we're not, yeah, if we're not selling that process to a player, they're going to get hung up on the frustrations. And that that's a pretty, yeah, I guess it's a pretty negative or, or slippery vortex. You know, you're kind of reflecting on reflection and then you're just going around in this circle and it gets more and more negative and that's that's a tough one to come out of, I guess. Thinking about this from sort of the community um, perspective, it, it's almost, who do you think the best people are to sort of, because like we've got us as coaches, so we're looking for that critical friend, aren't we, to come at us to help with our reflective practice. Who do you think the best people would be for the players as well, do you think we're necessarily the best people to help them, or should they also be looking for that individual who may be able to give them a perspective that, that we can't? Because we're going to look at it from very much a, what we're focusing on as coaches. Maybe it's that sort of experience of having someone there who can assist them that isn't connected to the game, if that makes sense. That's a, I think it's a really, really good point, Mark. Um, and hopefully you would have a good enough relationship or, or be looking to develop a relationship where they would respect what you have to say, or at least want to listen to what you have to say. Um, but you're right. Sometimes maybe we assume that, Oh, I am the coach. Therefore I must be listened to. Uh, maybe we need to earn that uh, at times that, that, that right to do it. But you're right. Like a bit like Phil's point that um, maybe we need to, to support the players to, work on their reflection and what they're supporting other people with or what they're seeing to train maybe their eye as to what they're uh, looking at or at least asking them what they see because you know they'll see the, the the game from their perspective and whatnot you know we often talk about that like seeing it from the touchline or behind the goal is very different from being actually in the action uh, the players can, can give you a hell of a lot more information uh, which can then uh, support you, but also you can see certain things from your angle. Um, but it's really what's useful, I think, for them. What do they want to take on board? Um, your observations might fall on deaf ears. Uh, you might know, and the better maybe you know your players or know how to get through to your players, I think would be uh, most beneficial. Do you think it'd be worth actually implementing a model with them? So, so let's, I mean, there, there are tons and tons of reflective models out there. So actually, if you went through with your squad, appropriately pitched to their age and said this is the process we would like you to, to just start forming a habit of thinking about this is the first box you're going to go through then the second and third and fourth and whether that's 
from training, whether that's games, whether that's a reflective conversation. I just wonder whether introducing some sort of process would actually keep them on track and, and just start to embed that. And, and they might, it might spark some interest and they go and learn about it and, and kind of, you know, deviate from that as they move along. But I, I wonder whether that is a, a positive starting block to actually just kind of embed the practice and then see where it goes. I, I probably tend to agree with that, Phil. Um, I, I definitely think that someone's going to need, they might need some form of template to go off because then eventually they might actually then go on to form their own way of reflecting. But I think it's almost like when you first start out your coaching journey and you do the old level one or the level two and you have that sort of that framework to how you coach with the plan, do, review, and then eventually you go off and form your own sort of idea of what that looks like and how that fits you best. And I think sometimes that's what, um, kids and, and adults to some degree if they've never been shown it might just need that a bit of a base template to go off to start with so question on that for you guys and, and this is something I've always struggled with reflection again it, it pulls up you're gonna you're gonna have too many questions that you just can't answer so how how do you guys as coaches deal with the fact that reflection leads to more questions and ultimately creates a, a I guess more of a workload for you as a coach to, to either either you kind of end up just parking it and going I, I can't deal with that much at the moment or it just keeps expanding the, the the areas you need to learn about or or think about more or try and impart on other people how, how do you manage the fact that reflection is a never-ending cycle I think that is um I think that's really, really important I think that's really, really important sometimes um when we think of the role of a coach as a novice or an expert and on that sort of scale, uh, the more of a novice you are, and th there are so many people who volunteer their time so willingly who have access to some incredible resources that didn't exist five, 10 years ago. So they're seeing into the world of some of the top coaches. And sometimes maybe there's a pressure on them to be at that level. Uh, so maybe sometimes when we're critical of the, the coaches who copy and paste or the YouTube uh, where they're inspired by everything off YouTube maybe we need to maybe be a bit more sympathetic in the sense of well these people are, are desperately trying to improve um, and then maybe they're just putting it in the wrong place so to come back to that um, you're gonna have a lot of questions uh, and you need to maybe just be understand and I suppose to go back to know yourself that hey I've only been coaching and, and sometimes people say oh, I've been coaching for two years but if you've only been coaching for you know one hour every Saturday for 30 hours a week, you actually haven't been coaching for two years. You've been coaching for 60 hours. Like, um, so I think we, we need to be cognizant of that um, in that kind of journey. And as we're moving along, that actually we'll delve into stuff and you're not going to crack this, uh, you know, even within your two years or 60 hours of coaching. You know, a lot of this needs to come. And um certainly in teaching, as I said, and coaching, it's just so imperfect. Like it'll never be finished. It's like, I often talk about a Rubik's cube that just keeps shifting as you're trying to solve it. Um, so yeah, th th that leads to other questions, but being open or willing to do that. And that's hard because at first you want to, you really want to crack that uh, Rubik's cube, but you can't, unfortunately. I think you can definitely see where self doubt comes from as a coach, can't you? <laughs> But do you know what I mean? You know, when you start yeah. thinking in those terms, actually, you, there, there's an easier access now, like you say, for anybody to watch like world-class coaches doing what they do that make it look insanely easy. And then they walk out thinking, that's what the level I need to be at. And 
uh, you said I've only done you know maybe 20 30 hours like it's not it's not a huge amount and it's they're doing it for free and they've got their own kids and a day to like and then when they start reflecting they're going I've now got more questions than I've answered like holy shit how do I manage this as a process and I've got 30 kids that all need attention and then I've got 60 parents or whatever it is like yeah Mark how do you find that in terms of your your under 12 group it's a it's a tough one it's it's because it's sort of a, a bigger picture within the sort of coaching group that we go with ourselves because I mean I, I know the boys will mind me saying that during this time I'm probably one of the few of the three who have actually gone out and about and looked at other resources that, that are available in order to, you know, try and think with a few things. And then you sort of times that by 10 age groups and there's, there's 30. Um, you'd like to think that within that 30, there, there are those people there who could assist the group with sort of reflective practices and being able to talk about certain things and just ask those rather intelligent questions after watching a session about what people may or may not have done and try and focus the positives. But, but I think the problem is, as one of the guys rightly said, he's, you know, he, he wasn't furloughed. He's still working a 40-hour week. And you mentioned the word CBD to him. And it's in, in, sometimes in the sort of community game, it's a case of, like Dave said, hang on, I'm already giving all the time that I possibly can. So I, I think it's, it, it's interesting because it's, it, it's about the sort of small margins. Can you make a small difference? So is there something that you can introduce, even if it is just a case of you're getting players to go away on a on a Sunday and you do the old bubble diagram and you say, right, write one positive thing down in in the bubble that you did this week. Think about how you want to change that next week or carry it on next week, you know, to, to make it a bigger positive and make it a bigger bubble and just get them thinking along those lines and, and, and wording it right as well. So we're not talking about negatives, we're talking about also think about that developmental thing what would you like to ask the coach this week about how we can develop that skill during the week if you can go up and ask one question and then being receptive enough as a coach to help that player sort of through that reflective period and, and you might get 50 percent of the team that will buy in and try and do it because the other 50 are just you know they're there to play along with their mates and and, and maybe not interested in that sort of bigger picture to it yeah, it's another really good point. It's something we've actually spoken about on here before. Is it comes back to that: what's an appropriate timeline for development? You know, we're not for kids, certainly even adults. You can't be expecting drastic change in the space of a week. You've got to be thinking, you know, monthly, six monthly, yearly. It's going to take a long time, isn't it? So, yeah, no, I think that's a, yeah another another really strong point. Cool, Mark. We'll stay with you. What uh, what were you looking at this week? I watched uh, or listened rather to the Magic uh, Academy pod with Lara uh, Mossman. It was it was the second time she's been on. Um, the first time that she was on, I, I found it incredibly interesting. She's into uh, um, PhD research is, is looking at sort of she's developed this thing called the, um, the growth focus sports coaching program that she does through Melbourne University um, it, it was quite amusing actually because it you obviously you normally go on these podcasts thinking that Russell Earnshaw is going to be interviewing the person but it turned on its head uh, and the pod actually got flipped and it was Lara interviewing 
Rusty, and, and, and I'm glad Dave went first because it, it was almost a very big self-reflective cycle. She, he sent her two videos, and um, from the video, she used his Magic Academy cards to ask him coaching questions in order to move him up levels in terms of how he thought his coaching was. And I think it created some really interesting moments um, with him having to think about what he did justify it as someone who wasn't there and was asking questions with nothing at all to do with the session into how he was acting in order to bump himself up his own coaching levels. Uh, and she actually concluded it by saying that she tried uh, to create this sort of reflective purpose to it in order to get him to think about things. But there was so much that sort of came out of it. Um, and I know we've already mentioned gamification once already in that the reflective practice was actually gamified in order to get him to think about the positive stuff he was doing. And that sort of goes back to what Dave sort of said about trying to avoid the negative stuff. So the only way to go up the levels is to think about the good stuff that you do. And then that's how you see yourself um, moving up. But some of the stuff that was coming out of it was, was incredibly rich. And a sentence that I can't remember which one of them said it, but it, they said, really important about knowing where the group you're working with are at and more importantly knowing where the individual players are at and i played that a couple of times in my head because i thought to myself we're going to be going back in a situation where as coaches we haven't now dealt with um the people who were coaching probably for the best part of five maybe six months in some circumstances so how do we then go about knowing where that group are going to be the group of people that we may have worked with already for several years the sort of transformation, what they've been doing for the last four months, how, how they may now be thinking about the game. You might have kids who are sort of really keen in March of 2020 and they're going to come to, I don't know, let's call it October 2020. Are they still going to be the same individuals? And how do we as coaches step back and take that look? And that's where sort of the, the sort of gamification, I know that's what they call it, approaches is sort of really, really interesting in that we allow them to go out and sort of take control of the session or allow more control of the session. And then within that, we sort of have to maintain that certain element of control because even though we're going to be going back into it fresh and we want to make sessions fun because if they're not fun, we've already lost them for six months and we're going to lose them for a bit longer. So we gamify it, try and make it as much fun as possible, but we, we can't lose control of or not control, all the structures of what it is that we're, we're trying to make. And it was really interesting how you always assume that people always think games fun um, and it, it sort of get that bad press. It's chaos, it's messy, there are no rules, the kids are making the rules. But even Lara and Rusty both agree that without that structure, gamification doesn't work. And we've had all this time to sort of, you know, the last thing everybody sees is picking up the new toy. So, oh, I want to make everything gamification. I, I want to do this, I want to do that. And we, we're almost sort of listening to Russell Earnshaw, who's someone who obviously spends a lot of time doing this, being quizzed on it. You think, well, this is actually a lot more difficult than what you think it's going to be. It's not just a case of going and making these rules, giving them challenges, saying this is how you go up the levels and all that. And it's, it's an incredibly tricky period. But it's, and it's, so how do we put that in there where, we make it fun. We're also addressing the issues of learning more about the group, 
re-establishing that communication as to where they are and sort of having those interactions with the people who may now all of a sudden be struggling with with what you're trying to do with them. I'm waffling a bit here. I know that gets it. It doesn't really make sense. Um, and that's the sort of bit where I really sort of thought, well, that is an excellent point because you started addressing gamification before you went in, you're taking it in there and now you've got a whole relearning to do with not only yourself as a coach, but also with the kids that you're working with. And there was a few other things as well that they mentioned um, because she picked up on uh, the, the language aspect of, of the videos. And I think this is something that we can all think is that Rusty used the word nice, apparently an exceptional amount of times when he was giving feedback to the group. And you sort of think to yourself, when you think of oh, how many times do I say, oh, well done, good shot, good show, good pass. And it's really about addressing that feedback. And I, and I know it's something that um, other webinars have touched on as well, is it is about nailing that feedback and being more to the point and making sure that you get something from the feedback so that they understand what it is that you're trying to tell them. And I could go on. There's loads and loads and loads of little points that were bouncing out of it. But I think the main thing that come from it was if we're going to try and incorporate these new things that we've learned, it's really important to sort of get an understanding of them. And, and you mentioned earlier, Phil, about the experts making stuff look too easy. But it's, it's not easy. It's going to take a lot of work from us to make sure that we get the skills right and the audience right, especially when they come back and pitch in what we're delivering at a level to make sure that the interactions are good between us and the players, the players and the players, whilst still having fun because they're going to come back and just want to blast that at 100 miles an hour and probably ask to do contact within about 30 seconds. Right, but we want to try and, and make sure we, we know where we're going. Um, and the final thing I want to add is I found it incredibly interesting. And again, this goes back to Dave's reflective practice is using that podcast as a method of getting someone to reflect on their practice. You think to yourself, I've, for example, in my case, I may have 30 parents within my age group. Is there a way of, I can have that critical friend who's nothing to do with the, the rugby coaching group who can watch a video of a session and then can use that almost podcast formula to deliver your own feedback and in order to boost your own reflective practice. On that um, approach you said about having that person who doesn't really, who's not from that rugby environment, it could be a parent or it could be someone else that you, that goes through that reflection process with you. Do you, it's, do you think it's sort of, I don't know if you've heard of it, almost that 10th man principle of where you'll have that 10th guy, his job is basically to, um, question everything that you do regardless of if he thinks it's right or wrong or whether or not you do it and it's completely right but his job is to always question what's what's happening and question your reflection maybe and get you to think about something even if what you've delivered is you could have hit the nail on the head and it could be the best session you've ever done but that one person is basically there to challenge you um, to make you think um, it's just a real question of who do you who would you say is the right person to do that do you think it they have to have a relationship with you or could it just be a, a random parent or another coach from an age group? Yeah, I, I, I thought about this quite a lot today. And when you think of then the parents on your sideline, there's, there, there is probably a skill set on the, 
on, on your sideline that you may not have got to know, or, or some of you might. And there's probably people in there who deal with those difficult questions in the workplace who are ideally suited for it. And, and as you said, they don't necessarily have to know anything about rugby, but by them asking you that question, you know, oh, why have you done that? Or what were you thinking when you did that? It almost gets you just back into thinking, well, why did I put that into the session? Why did I say what I did? Why did I adopt that stance with, and why was I stood there? And, and sometimes I think it helps if they, they're not involved in the same club or the, or the same sort of setup or you don't have a relationship sometimes because sometimes people don't like upsetting people and, and someone may think that by asking that question, oh, am I upsetting them? Hang on, it, it may be his turn with me in a year's time. So I, 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 you know, I mean, it's, it's difficult sometimes for people to find that relationship. Whereas I think a parent who is just asking a question may ask a sort of, I'm trying to think, a more innocent question, but a deeper question because they're not looking at it from a rugby perspective, in my case, or a sports perspective in whatever sport you were coaching. They're asking a question on something they've seen and something they've witnessed. And that question itself may have more deeper meaning than a rugby coach who could ask a more specific rugby question. But where did the 10th man principle come from? So I, I do believe, and someone will probably pull me up on this because I probably factually will get this completely wrong. <laughs> but I do, I do believe it is. I do believe it's 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 from Jewish culture, and effectively, it's it's basically they if there's if there's nine people in a room and they're all coming up with ideas, they will bring a tenth person in who has nothing to do with the group, and his job is to effectively chuck in stones from the sidelines and, and just question everything that is said. So that the people who are in agreement, even if all nine people agree on something, that tenth man is to come in. He's basically there um, to question what's happening. So if a decision's made, he wants to know, well, why is it being made? Like, what's the reasoning behind it? And how are you going to go about it? And even if they answer all that, he'll, he'll come back and say, well, why? Why are you doing that? Um, and, and, and that's probably, yeah, someone will probably correct me on that. But I do believe that's where it's from. <laughs> I thought it was from World War Z when Brad Pitt's in the Jeep. That's the first time I learned about it. So, yeah. It's effectively to stop groupthink, isn't it? So, the, yeah. you know, rivers of thinking, call or whatever you want. It's just somebody that will deliberately play the antagonist and disagree. So, yeah, you don't get invaded by zombies and, and the world. But it didn't really work for them. So, well, it kind of worked, but it didn't really work. So, yeah, slight tangent that. But it's a good movie. One of the top movies. I just, re I just read up online, sorry. It derives from Israeli intelligence. That's ah. where it comes from, I think. Happy day. Interestingly, so something you said, Mark, I'm just thinking, is coaching a perishable skill? Like, do we need to be planning that we're not going to be that very sharp as coaches because we've not actually been on the grass or the ground or whatever for six seven months potentially like how how do we think we need to go about planning for that it's going to be similar to how the players feel i mean you know, I, I mentioned knowing where the group are at knowing where yourself is at um i mean normally we have a sort of four month break and, and within those four months we've probably never had this opportunity to digest so much information um and, and we're going to be going into a place and i, and I think um you may have even mentioned it before, Phil, on, on another part where that first session is going to be, oh my God, I've got all these magical tricks that I want to use. And, and fundamentally, we, we may have forgotten certain, 
certain skills about coaching and, and I don't think it is as easy as, as getting back on a bike and that that first session I think may be better off just building interactions with people while we remember the process of of coaching ourselves just if the kids haven't picked up a ball or may not have picked up a ball I mean neither have we you know it's it's difficult to plan for something that you don't know what you're going to see until you, you get there almost. Yeah, yeah, I can I can definitely appreciate that. By the way, you get bonus points for saying that you'd listened to previous episodes. So <laughs> I appreciate you, you chuck that in. That's well done. Um, and and I, I, I do have real, real reservations just around, will it, will it, <laughs> we, you know, referee talk was quite a heavy one last week and it was that classic new laws or new trials or whatever come in and everyone does it for a month and then after that they just revert to type. And, and I really do wonder is all the knowledge that we're accumulating during this period just going to kind of, will it change practice for good or will it just be, I'm going to try this as I have done with everything else I've learned, but I've just learned more in a, in a different period of time. And then I'll, then I'll bin it and go back to being normal me. I'm not sure. Yeah. Again, I think it comes from trying just to make small increments in your coaching practice. I mean, some of the stuff we would have, read about you know you'll be thinking of am I even in a position where I'm confident putting that into my coaching practice and I think sometimes you, you've got to realize that just as the players have got this this learning stage and that we're trying to throw everything in before you know, we want the, the, the finished model by under 16s or some coaches are striving for the finished model we, we've got to realize that there isn't that rush to to get all of this in it's it's that slow build and, and as long as I think um, you, you've got that all, almost the permission of the group that you're dealing with and you sit down and say right then guys I've had in, in the six months we haven't been doing anything I've listened to 322 podcasts I've watched 422 webinars and this is all the stuff I've learned is there anything in there that, that you think you like the sound of that you'd like to go on this this journey with um, and, and they may pick the one stuff you're not interested in but I, I think sometimes that, that sort of honesty with them is a good way of giving you know yourself the confidence of thinking, yeah, I might have a crack at this rather than just go in there, you know, for example, using gamification. Right, I'm going to try gamification, and half the group are going, oh my god, what is this? We've been living at home, being schooled by our parents for six months. We've had no structure, no nothing. We want structure. We we want to be stood in a square with a ball doing an Auckland grid, for example. You know, it's it, what what you see in front of you may just be like, oh, hang on, I can't do that anymore now. And, out the coast. So I think that early conversation may may just help, even you know, even if they are young players. So slight tangent, Dave. What would that look like for you going into a new school with kids that you won't know or that won't have seen their mates for however long in a school environment, and they won't have, you know, they'll have just got used to getting up at ten o'clock and doing an hour of homeschooling a day. Like what's your approach to that going to be? Because that's going to be a pretty seismic change for some of them, isn't it? It's bad enough with like when they get six weeks off, let alone like a, a far, far more extended holiday. It's, it's certainly a challenge that I've been sort of dwelling on um, because I'm trying to design, you know, what, what, what I might do, how I might use maybe some of the information. And, and I agree with you in the sense of like, there's definitely been an infodemic in the sense of what we're sort of being, uh, you know, exposed to. And it's, I think what would be a useful exercise is actually maybe taking a blank piece of paper and saying, 
what can I recall that could be useful? Or actually, just what can I recall? And then decide whether it's useful or not uh, from, uh, from my, maybe what we've learned or listened to. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's an excellent question, Phil. And I, I definitely need to take that slow. Uh, I'll want to hit the ground running. I'll want to have all bells and whistles, just like lots of people who are coming back to, to sport and to coaching. Uh, but I need to, I don't know them. They don't know me. Uh, I probably need to establish that, um, you know, share a little bit about what, what, what I think, how I see the world, um, and then take that fairly slowly. It won't be the same as a group at Shiplake who I've been working with for the last few years or who they know my style or my sort of context. Um, so I'm going to have to take that slowly, I think, and just check myself if I feel I'm, you know, moving too fast uh, for, for certain people. Nice. Great stuff. Infodemic. I love that. That's, I'm, yeah. I'm going to steal that. It's good. Good word. Uh, Andy, let's, uh, let's jump across to you. What, uh, what did you look at this week? Cool. So uh, this week I, uh, well, watched a podcast. Uh, I listened to a podcast uh, called the High Performance Podcast, uh, and that's presented by Jake Humphreys and Damien Hughes. Um, uh, so Jake Humphreys from F1 Presenting, I think, and Damien Humphreys has done The Barcelona Way and a few other really, really interesting books. Um, and they had Sean Dyche on, uh, the Burnley Football Club manager, uh, and he spoke about uh, culture. Um, usually I, I stay away from a lot of podcasts around culture because I think a lot of them sometimes it's hard to take little bits that you could probably use in either amateur grassroots rugby or, you know, even coming into semi-professional stuff. So I, I tend tend to stay away from it, but I, I gave it a listen. It was absolutely amazing. Um, so a lot of what he spoke about, you could take uh, easily take all of it um, and you could apply that into a school or even a community club um, because it all cost absolutely no money at all than what he focused on. Um, so he spoke about what he sees as important. So when he said he came into Burnley, um, he said that they had Eddie Howe there before, who obviously was a great manager, but the club was in a rut and they were, you know, close to, um, close to sort of relegation. So he came in and the first thing he did, uh, he just did a player survey, basically. He sat all the players down, all the management down and said, uh, asked, had three questions on there. So the one was, what, what do you think as players, your perception is in the local area, in the community? Um, what do you want from me as a coach and the coaching staff? And also, what do you want from your career? And how can I help you get there? So they were the three sort of areas he focused on. He said, you can, you can, it's all anonymous. He said, just write what you want down on it. Um, be as open as want, be as close as you want. But this is the only opportunity you're going to get to ask these questions. Um, and he said, once you've asked the questions, we'll then come back together and we'll formulate more around sort of what our behaviours and standards are going to be like. And from that information that he gathered, he basically ran with with the one club sort of Burnley mentality that he has now and that took them to seventh or sixth place in a European Cup run um, last year or the year before. Um, he went on to then talk about sort of how he looks to drive it and that's really through player recruitment and who he gets into the club um so a lot of stuff he talked about was was mainly around he spoke a lot around he's not so concerned about the ability of the players because he said you know with the uh with the premier league there's so much class out there there's so much good ability so he said that his main focus um was all on character and attitude so he said he'd go to youth team coaches or FA education advisors that have known these players for years and want to find out, you know, who are they as people? So that's his main focus is focusing on the person um, because he wants to know sort of what attitude have they got? 
uh, what sort of characteristics have they got? Um, because he said that's the that's sort of the, the foundation really of what he wants to build a football club on and who he wants to bring in. Um, and he very much, a little bit of a quote that I took from it, he basically said um, he focuses on a lot of sort of, uh, you could call them manners, um, you could put it simply. So a lot of the, even the young professionals they get in, the academy kids or even the, the guys they transfer in from other clubs, he said they massively focus on, you know, just speaking to people, handshakes, how you conduct yourself in the correct manner, looking at people. Um, he's very, 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 very like hammers home with them about sort of the social and, and life skills that he wants to bring about to them. Because he said, you know, the point of the story for him is, you know, if you don't become a footballer or your career ends, you're going to go and have to get a job. You're going to go to an interview. So if you can sort of handle yourself well and you can come across, uh, you can come across well and put yourself across there, people, people immediately think, oh, he can handle himself. Like, I've got a good feeling about that. And that's sort of his his focus is, is more on how he can develop life skills in these people as opposed to them just being a footballer, um, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and all those little areas there, I, I felt you can, you can transfer that to a school environment uh, with a rugby team or even your Sunday morning uh, team that you might coach, like all those little aspects around attitude and characteristics. They don't cost money. It's, it's not like your people talk about culture and, oh, we took the team away to a lot of these elite performing environments, take their team away to Miami or have a week away in the sun. That's, uh, that's unrealistic for the majority of people when it comes to finances. Um, so it was refreshing to sort of hear him talk about how he implements that uh, through everyday stuff that I think uh, he, we assume that kids know about a lot of this stuff. But actually, if they're not taught it or shown it, then they don't. So we might expect a kid to be able to be, he might be really polite or be able to hold eye contact in a conversation. But if they're not from a certain environment or they haven't been shown that, then they don't know it. And it might come down to us as coaches to actually show them that. Um, and just another quick drop in before questions. Uh, so I was lucky enough to go to Birmingham City Football Club. Um, so I went in there and spent a day with the under 23s of Steve Spooner. And for me, that's where I saw all of this stuff unfold in an actual environment in front of me. So every single player in the under 23s that I saw all came up to me and said hello to me. Like they didn't know who I was, but they all came over, shook my hand. It was the same for the youth team players that were there at under 18 and under 17 level. They all came over and said hello. Um, and that's the one thing I took away from it was um, everyone at the club at Birmingham, this is, and obviously there's influences there from Burnley, all spoke to me. Um, but yeah. That's what that, that that's sort of what I've I've took some interest from this week anyway, and happy for questions. So Andy, I was particularly interested in, the, in what you said there about Sean Dyche um, trying to his first port of call in sort of creating a culture was to ask the players what they wanted, and I think as coaches we're certainly in danger of imposing a culture or manufacturing a culture or having seen someone else do a culture and think that, uh, that we can do that. Uh, so so I, I like that idea how we went to them. Um, and I think you have to kind of grow it, um, being aware that kind of learning is a process, like not an event. Uh, and that'll take time to, for that to bed in. But I just wonder for you, have you, um, have you ever made the mistake? And you, you talked about the idea of culture. And it's a bit of a buzzword. I think we can misunderstand sometimes maybe what we mean by it. And it's important that we break that down. But do you think you've maybe been guilty in the past of, uh, of maybe 
trying to play around with that word or trying to do something with culture, but not really getting it right, or maybe getting it right, or maybe getting it right. So yeah, I, I meant my first sort of coaching gig um, at a school in Worcester. I I kind of read read loads of books uh, around sort of building a culture and went in there and tried to impose what I thought was a good culture. So I very much told the players what to do. That went down to you know how we train, how we play, sort of you know what winning looks like. Me telling them what winning looks like, um, and eventually I sort started to see a sort of drop off in sort of player numbers turning up to training week on week in, and I couldn't work out why it was happening because I'm thinking I've told them all this stuff I've told them what a good culture looks like but they're not enjoying it and you know for me I was a bit like I don't what am I doing wrong um and it was only when we got you know we we were lucky enough to have a few coaches come in and and work in the school so you know we we had good people in the school like we had Sean Perry that came in and worked there and, and getting someone in who really just put all ownership on the players and immediately we went from having 20, 25 senior boys to training to having 65 senior boys to training because they all felt like their opinions were heard. Um, so that was a really sharp learning curve for me. <laughs> I, think, I think that's so... Uh, it, it's, it's cool to kind of hear those experiences because, again, people tend to say, like, oh, we've got a really, really strong culture. But actually, I think it's good to hear those stories that actually we, we do kind of mess those things up. And I, I loved your example of Birmingham City. I know you and I met there uh, last year at the Tribes event and uh, Danny Barham had me in um, with Mike Dodds to see again their underage setup, their 16s during the summer. Uh, so I know the culture that you're talking about and I think it, a really cool thing that they try and capture in the world of football where you know it's so professionalised and it's just so pervasive and, and they all want to do so well and so professionalised. You know, Birmingham City talk about having a genuine childhood experience that is at the heart of what they're trying to embed. Uh, and that is everywhere. And you could see that in the interactions with coaches and players. There was a, you know, the, just how happy, you know, the, 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 the lads were just to be there. And the fact that, again, the, the, the coaches knew everything about those guys. Uh, you know, they, they knew like, oh, listen, your mum's coming home late from work, so I, I can drop you to the train station so you can get, you know, to make sure, you know, in case you're, you're hanging around here too long. And I just thought that, that meant so much. Now you can't package that. You can't copy and paste that. You can't yeah. pick that up and drop that somewhere else. That needs to be organic. That needs to be genuine. And that takes a lot of time. I think that's the key point, isn't it? How, how genuine this is. So that, that's my question. And this will sound very cynical, but how much of those under 23s coming to shake your hand is this is the polite thing to do and this is just me being me or how much of that is I've been told that I need to do this and as soon as I see a couple of the other guys do it it will remind me that I need to go and shake the hand of whoever the guest is this week and actually if I don't do it I'll get told off and got told we have a bad culture and I'm I'm all how do you distinguish between other than asking the player and I'm never sure they're going to be that honest with their own coaches around why they do it like how do you distinguish between that being forced and that being genuine uh, that is a very good question and i think it's very difficult um i to be honest i probably don't think you're going to know until you're probably not going to know maybe for 
until what those players look like in five years' time or ten years' time, maybe. You know, what, like what sort of person are they going to be when they go off and get married or they, if they become a professional player, you know, what sort of what they're going to look like at 28 years old playing in the Championship or the Premier League? And, you know, are we going to see stories of them doing good and being a role model as opposed to seeing sometimes the opposite? I probably think you probably won't really know then until they've got freedom to be an adult, um, which I think obviously in an under 23s and academy setup, it's still very controlled and confined by the academy setup or the under 23 setup, where I think when they become an adult into the first team, if they want to go and buy a Bugatti, they can go and buy a Bugatti, but they've got the freedom. So I'd probably say that's probably where you're going to see it is maybe not for a few years, which is quite difficult. Freedom is an interesting word to use when you talk about culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Because straight away by saying they'll, they'll have freedom later down the line, it would imply that there is a lack of freedom in the environment <laughs> or within the culture yeah. they currently have. So, and you, and you, you, as you, I think you're dead right. I don't think you know, but I mean, I've been at this, those types of sessions where all the guys come up and you're just like, I, I always found it a little bit awkward because I'm kind of just being that cynic going, you're only doing this because you're told to, but actually it, does this benefit you in any way? Like, yeah. yeah, it's a good ha- it's a good skill as a person to be able to go and meet strangers, absolutely. But does you having to do that detract from your session? Like, I and I'm always kind of I'm like, literally, you're about to walk out and do a session. I don't really need you wasting your time coming and saying hi to me. I'd much prefer you just got like your game face on and just went and yeah, did what yeah. you were there to do. I, I always find that a little bit like, what's what's the purpose of it like if you want to come and speak afterwards and ask what i thought or do that like that's organic culture for me i'm not sure that we have to meet and and it's a crude example but it's it's just one of those where yeah i don't know i'm 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 still undecided on how that looks in some environments i guess and the the uh, sort of the other thing as well that sean spoke about on the podcast was around the old saying around you know talent will get you into the changing rooms but attitude will determine how long you stay in there and he kind of said well why don't we flip that on his head for a second and focus on you know you have someone that's talented but is it actually attitude that takes them to the next level so you can have a really talented person but actually you know that's could you say that he wasn't saying it's right or wrong he was saying you know could you argue that without them having the right attitude to push them along that 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 talent might never come to fruition yeah, I'm, sh- I'm sure if we went round, we could probably reel off a huge list of players that we know that that were one or two ways. They either were very, very gifted in terms of their ability, but didn't have a good attitude or had an incredible attitude, but just didn't have the ability to back that up. And, and I always think that the amount of conversations I can think of where I went, oh, if you took that player and that player and just moulded them together, you would have the perfect person to, to, to kick on through the pyramid or whatever. Yeah, I think that's happened. That's happened pretty regularly. So, yeah, interesting. Right, guys, I'm conscious of time. So we are going to jump into uh, kind of the preview of next week's Cool. So I'm looking forward to uh, the All Chats podcast, uh, which is a podcast that's just started up uh, by two guys in the club that I coach, the greatest club in the world, the HAC, um, where uh, two guys, Meshi and Factor, who kind of came together and they actually came together to have a conversation mainly about mental health uh, and just some of the issues, again, that they're facing. And I just think it's it's such an important conversation that rugby clubs should be having. 
um, that maybe they're not traditionally used to having, uh, maybe in, in, in wider cases. So that's the kind of premise of the of the pod. I think the link that I've uh, that'll be in the show notes is actually linked to a chat with um, one of our one of our players, Larry, who talks about his experience as a, a as a person of color in in a club that is ninety six ninety seven percent white over the last few weeks, and in in, in relation to the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, so he just talks about his experience of growing up in, uh, and being part of that environment uh, on that link. But that part is is uh, is very, very interesting and insightful. Love that. That sounds really positive. Mark, what about you? Yep, I'm going to go back to uh, Stephen Rolnick and Joe Porter on Wednesday. They've got a, a webinar called Supporting Autonomy, How Long is a Piece of String? Um, and it's looking at um, uh, when people sort of make risky decisions and they're relating it into um, counselling, teaching, um, sort of the, the corrections and, and a little bit of coaching. Uh, and it's sort of sparked my interest because if we're sort of trying to create this environment where we want people to make autonomous decisions and go out there, I think it's important to have a, a look at what questions do you have to put around that autonomy so that when they're making or when they're going out there and trying stuff or asking them the right questions to help them develop their understanding of what it is that they're doing. So that's what I'm looking forward to on Wednesday. Superb. Look forward to that. Andy, what about you? Um, so I'm looking forward to, there's a good, uh, good podcast out there by uh, the training ground guru. Um, so they have a really, really good podcast. Uh, and that, well, the podcast is, uh, it's, a, it, it's been, it's on there, been on there for a few weeks now, but it's by Danny Cowley, um, and he's the Huddersfield Town Manager at uh, Huddersfield Football Club Manager there in the Championship. Um, and that is a very, very good podcast. And they've got a few coming up as well that would just be released. One's Nick Cox, the uh, Development Youth Manager at Man United Football Club as well, which is uh, which should be really good as well. So that's what I'm looking out for. Awesome. Love that. I didn't mention it earlier, but I don't know if any of you guys saw it, but if for anyone listening that didn't, um, I would definitely go back to the Magic Academy on Wednesday with uh, Mo Bobat from, is the performance director from England Cricket, because uh, that was a, that was a fascinating listen. He is a, a very, very switched on guy. So um, yeah, definitely worth checking out. Superb. Right. I am going to round up the roundup. So uh, we hope you find it useful. Thank you to my three guests for their excellent insight. Links to all the content we discuss will be shared in the podcast blurb please subscribe like and share and as we ride off into the sunset i'd like to wish you all the best stay safe and go well 